This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I'm looking forward very much to another episode of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart, an actor who was widely admired by everyone as a consummate professional and a genuinely warm person. Now, on a personal note, I have a connection to Mr. Stewart. My late wife, Dine Island, was at one point, as well as starring in the oft-times ridiculed TV sitcom The Trouble with Tracy, was, to the surprise of many, a very talented director-choreographer in live theater. In fact, it was during her tenure as Artistic Director of Press Theater in St. Catharines that she directed a production of Harvey, that great movie about a six-foot rabbit that could only be seen by the character played by Jimmy Stewart. And just for fun, she allotted two of the best seats in the house to be kept open in case James Stewart would accept her invitation to attend the opening night, or any other night for that matter. She had written this invitation directly to Mr. Stewart, and surprise, surprise, he answered her in a personally written note saying though he really appreciated the gesture, he couldn't at that time make the trip from Hollywood. But thank you so much for thinking of me. Signed, Jimmy Stewart. Well, that note was tacked onto the announcement board backstage, and everyone on the show thought it was just terrific that he'd taken the time to do that. But that's who Jimmy Stewart was, a very generous, honest-to-goodness, nice man. He, of course, was very talented. Now, I remember being told by one of my directors that an actor shouldn't act but just be. Well, that sounds easy, but most will tell you it's not. James Stewart had that ability to wear the cloak of any character he played with such honesty, his aw shucks delivery, along with his sometimes hesitation, getting the words out, just made him endearing. So, for tonight's show, The Six Shooter, he plays the lead in this series as Britt Ponsett, a drifting cowboy in old-time radio. Now, one of the old-time radio directories called the program a last desperate attempt by a radio network, in NBC in this case, to maintain interest in adventure drama by employing a major Hollywood star in the leading role. A trademark of the show was Stewart's use of whispered narration during tense scenes that created a heightened sense of drama and relief when the situation was resolved. So here we go with tonight's episode entitled The Stampede. In a moment, you'll hear James Stewart as the six-shooter, just one of the many fine programs brought to you Sundays on NBC. Listen to the NBC Star Playhouse with Frederick March and Florence Eldridge. Hear Stroke of Fate and what might have happened if fate had reversed historical facts. And keep tuned for the dramatic story of Last Man Out. It's a lineup of great programs, all of them heard only on NBC. 
James Stewart as the six-shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. Its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as the six-shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. snow was beginning to melt by the time I reached Dawson. You could hear it dripping from the eaves, hitting the boardwalk along the main street. I'd figured on being in town a couple of days earlier, but that storm sort of threw me off schedule. Not that I had to be there any particular day, but my winter job at Dave Engelman's ranch would be waiting for me whenever I showed up. But the sooner I got to Dave's, the sooner we could start moving his herd down to lower ground. Oh, Scott. Oh, oh boy. Well, I... It's almost noon, so I tied Scar to the hitching rail in front of Brick Vining's gambling hall and went hunting a place to eat. The town was sort of showing a little wear and tear. Of course, Dawson never had been a rich place, and I guess the drought last summer hadn't helped much. Folks just didn't have the money for improving the real estate, that's all. Except the jail. Huh. Gee, for, for a minute, I couldn't believe my eyes. Well, it was all fixed up. Fresh green paint on the outside, new wooden steps leading up to the front door. Real honest-to-goodness bars in the cell windows. Well, it sure was a different jail, all right. But the face grinning out at me from behind those cast-iron bars, well, <laughs> that face hadn't changed a bit since the last time I was in Dawson. Howdy, Brett. Hello, Milk. <laughs> I heard you was coming to town. Dave Engelman said you signed up with him. Yeah, that's right. You, uh, you in for something, Milk? Yes. Oh, there's a little <laughs> ruckus over at Brick Fighting's place last night. Some folks said I started it. Uh-huh. Mm, reckon they're right. You do. Uh, mm. uh, uh, seems to me like you were in jail when I left Dawson a couple years back, isn't oh. it? Uh, was it, uh, Saturday night or Sunday morning? Uh, could have been. Could have been. I don't remember exactly. Well, if it was a Saturday night or Sunday morning, like as not, I was here. I ain't missed being thrown in more than two Saturday nights since they first built a place. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you're living in style. I, George, this jail looks a lot fancier than it used to be. Yes, yeah, yeah. New sheriff fixed it all up. New sheriff, huh? Sure. Oh, you heard about Saul Gordon being killed, didn't you? No. No, well, what happened? Oh, well, it happened, oh, maybe a couple of months ago. And, well, come on inside and have a look around while I tell you about it. Well, I don't know about that, Mel. You know, maybe the new sheriff wouldn't oh, care about it. Oh, Sheriff Billy wouldn't mind. He'd like you to pay us a visit. Now, come on, come on, Britt. The front door's unlocked. Well, all right, all right. <laughs> That's some desk, ain't it? Solid mahogany. 
He had it shipped here all the way from Frisco. Is that so? Mm-hmm. He paid for it out of his own pocket, too, Billy did. Town couldn't afford a desk like that. Oh, no, no. I don't suppose it could. Well, what about Saul? What, what, what happened to him? Well, like I said, it was around two months ago. The Baxter brothers had been seen heading this way from White Eagle. When Sheriff Gordon heard about it, he... Well, he got some men together and started looking for him. Mm-hmm. Young Billy hadn't been in town very long. He wasn't obliged to join the posse. But he went anyway. Billy Riddle. Oh, uh, that's his name, Britt. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a very big posse, and when one of them Baxter shot the sheriff, well, that'd have been the end of it. If Billy hadn't have took charge. Why, he managed to get off a couple of shots, and the next thing you know, both of them Baxter boys surrendered. <laughs> So when Billy came back to town, well, nobody else was very anxious for the job of sheriff, so he seemed to be the logical man for it. You know, the way he handled the posse and all. Sure, sure. Of course, sure. some of the folks thought he was a little young for the job. Well, can't be more than 22 or 23, but he's got a good, firm grip on himself. He does. Huh? Oh. oh, he ought to be showing up about now. He always turns me loose in time from a Sunday dinner. Real nice young fella. You'll like him. A mm, uh, southern boy. Oh? Yeah, I don't know why he came out west exactly. Good thing for the town he did, though. Oh, howdy, Sheriff, howdy. Oh, we're just talking about you. This here is Britt, uh, Britt Ponsett. Ponsett? Oh, that's right. You've heard of him, ain't you? He's six-shooter. Oh, sure, sure. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Ponsett. Howdy, Sheriff. I, uh, just strolling by and Milt asked me to come inside. Oh, glad uh, you did. Well, Milt, I reckon you'd like to be on your way. Oh, I don't know, Sheriff. This jail's getting to be a darn sight more comfortable than my cabin. What with all your improvements? Well, if you want to stay... Oh, on second thought, I'd better be getting home now. Thanks, thanks for the hospitality, anyway. (laughs) Don't mention it. Uh, uh, You heading my direction, Brad? Uh, Well, I'd... uh, If, uh... You don't mind, Mr. Ponsett. I'd like to talk to you. Just for a couple of minutes. Sure, sure. Well, so long, then. See you next Saturday, Sheriff. Sure, sure. <laughs> Goodbye, Mel. <laughs> uh, I trust I'm not keeping you from anything, sir. No, no. No, I was just thinking about eating a little dinner, maybe, if there's a cafe open. Old Cotton serves a pretty good meal on Sunday. That's Cotton all? White, yeah. His place is right around the corner. Fine, fine. Well, I'll give that a try. You, you wouldn't care to join me, would you? We could talk while we're eating. That is, if you don't have any other plans. Oh, thanks, Mr. Ponsett. I'd like to join you. You see, I'd been hoping you'd turn up in Dawson. Hmm. Oh, George, I... I sure was a nice, tender pot roast, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, oh, I ate too much, though. Huh? I, I, my belt's cutting into me like a cinch here. Wait a minute. What, uh, what was it you had in your mind, Billy? My name's Riddle, Mr. Parson. Bill Riddle. Uh-huh, yeah, Milt told me. Uh, the name doesn't mean anything to you? No, no, not offhand. I heard a lot about you, Mr. Ponsett, since I came to Dawson. Folks say you've traveled a lot around this part of the country. Covered it all from one end to the other. Boy, I've done my share of moving about. Uh, what I wanted to know was if you ever ran into anybody else with the same last name as me. Riddle? Blake Riddle. That's the full name. Uh, relative? My father. Oh, 
Oh. It's not a very common name. If you heard it, you'd be likely to remember it. Yes, yes. Here's your pie, Chef. But what's that plate, though? It's hot. Thanks, God. No. No, I don't think I ever heard that name before. Well, I... I wanted to be sure. Was your your father in these parts? Well, I, I don't know. I know he was once. Uh, not here in Dawson, but somewhere in this territory. Mm-hmm. You haven't heard from him lately? No. No, I've never heard from him. Oh? fact of the matter is, I, I've never even seen him. You see, he brought my mother out west here before I was born. It wasn't the kind of life she'd been used to. She was born and raised in the south. The family had a plantation. I see. In those days, the frontier must have been pretty wild. Anyway, when it came time for me to be born, she went back home. And your father didn't go with her? No. Uh-huh. Maybe they had a quarrel. Maybe he didn't like her leaving him. I, I don't know. Uh-huh. Later on, she, she told me he was dead. But I found out that wasn't true. At least it wasn't true when she told me. Oh? Anyhow, Mother died last year. In her things was a letter from Dad. It had been mailed from Denver about 15 years ago. Said he was going to buy a ranch somewhere around Phoenix. He asked Mother to bring me along and meet him. <laughs> from the way it was written, you could kind of tell he didn't expect her to come. Yeah, yeah. Well, some folks don't bear up very well when they're transplanted, you know. They take root in one place, and there's no point in trying to move. Yeah. I reckon they just weren't suited. But now, well, I, I thought maybe if Dad was still alive, I, I thought maybe he and I... Tell you the truth, Mr. Ponson, I guess I'm his son, even though I never saw him. More his than Mother's. I see. And ever since I can remember, I've wanted to come west. Even before I knew about him. And I've been happy out here, too. Happier than I've ever been in my life. Of course, I didn't figure on being sheriff. That was uh, just an accident. Well, be that as it may, you're the sheriff, and Milt says you're a darn good one. So you've at least got one satisfied customer. <laughs> I'm going to try, Mr. Ponson. I'm going to try hard. I just wish that Dad... Well, if you should ever run into him, why... Sure, sure. What, what the Sam Hill's on? Sounds like somebody's getting frisked. There he goes, Sheriff. Over by the mercantile. Yeah. yeah he, oh, he ain't doing no harm. He's just shooting up in the air that way. He ain't doing no good either. Looks like he's running out of lead. Yes, yes, there he goes. Into Brick Vining's place. I put the dinners on my bill, Cotton. I'll pay you for them later. Sure, Sheriff. Hold up a minute, Billy. Yeah? Hey, uh, didn't you recognize that fellow, the one doing the shooting? What? No. Why should I? Well, his name is Ben Reed. Reed? You sure, Mr. Ponson? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I I thought he was in jail over at Fort Lyon. I thought the marshal arrested him last month. Well, Ben Reed's been in a lot of jails, but he always sort of manages to break out somehow, you know. He won't break out of mine. You gonna arrest him, Sheriff? He's an outlaw, ain't he? Why, sure, sure, but... He's mighty fast with a gun. At least so I hear. Hey, ain't that right, Mr. Ponsett? Yeah, yeah, that's what folks say. Well, I guess there's only one way to find out. Sheriff Billy was young, all right. But he didn't walk young. And he didn't swagger. He just moved ahead like a man who knew where he was going. 
Of course, Ben, a few years older, wouldn't have done him any harm, especially if he was going to tangle with Ben Reed. And Well, well, there, there didn't seem to be any reason for me to miss all the excitement, so I started off in the direction of the gambling hall. If young Bill didn't know what he was doing, well, he, he'd soon find out. Ben Reed was sitting at a poker table dealing the cards. He didn't even look up when Bill came over and stood beside him. But Ben knew somebody was there, and he knew whoever it was was wearing a star. He laid the deck of cards on the table, and he rested his left hand on his knee. Gee whiz, I sure hope Billy knew that Ben was left-handed. Your name's Reed? Ben Reed. You talking to me? I asked if you're Ben Reed. Yeah, I'm Reed. You broke out of jail over at Fort Lyon. Don't look like I'm still there, does it, Sonny? And you're going back. Oh. You're under arrest. I heard this town got themselves a new sheriff. Some youngster wasn't even dry behind the ears. Get on your feet. Sure. You know, most fellas your age never a lot to live for. They'd be sort of careful who they started ordering around, but uh, maybe you're different. Maybe I am. What's your name, kid? Just for the record, I always like to know a man's name before I... Before there's any trouble. Bill Riddle. Sheriff Bill Riddle. Give me a gun, Reed. I said, give me a gun. For a couple of minutes, they stood there, not moving, staring at each other. And Ben Reed's left hand slid down his hip a couple of inches. And in spite of myself, I found my own hand going for my holster. And then Ben's fingers stopped. And I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. He unbuckled his gun belt and let it drop on the floor. Well, I guess the only person in that room who wasn't surprised was Billy. He just picked up those guns. He nodded to the door. Ben didn't even look back. He marched right out into the street and Billy behind him. Uh, it was a minute or so before it sank in just what had happened. Sheriff Billy Riddle had arrested Ben Reed without even drawing his gun. Turn to James Stewart as the six-shooter in just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. I've got $100, 100 genuine United States dollars, and they're yours for a mere 75. Well, friends, suppose you heard an offer like that. You'd jump at it fast, wouldn't you? Well, that's the very offer I'm making you today. I'm promising a guaranteed return of $4 for every $3 you invest. And all you do is buy United States savings bonds. So sign up today for the payroll savings plan where you work or the bond a month plan where you bank. You'll feel more secure tomorrow if you buy United States savings bonds today.
of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponsett. About two o'clock that Sunday afternoon, the snow started coming down again. Big, real big, heavy snow. So I left Scar at the livery stable and got myself a room at Mrs. Kramer's boarding house. Yeah, I sure didn't like the idea of going out for supper, but Mrs. Kramer said that she didn't fix food on Sunday night. She she was lead soprano in the church choir, and rain or snow, she had to be there for the evening service. There wasn't anybody else who could carry the melody. So I put on just about all the clothes I had with me and headed for Cotton White's Cafe. Howdy, Mr. Bonsett. Oh, sure is coming down, ain't it? Yeah. We don't yeah. usually get a big snow like this before January or That's maybe right. February. Uh-huh. It seems like the weather's changing. I wonder what's causing it. I don't know, Cotton. Don't know. Well, I, I was afraid you might be closed. No, I would be, except for these lunches I'm packing. Hmm? Yeah, the sheriff caught me just as I was locking the door. Oh? The idea of leaving for Fort Lyon in a blizzard like this. Fort Lyon? That's where he says he's going. Well, what for? He wants to turn Ben Reed over to the marshal there. He sure is in a big hurry to get rid of him for some reason. This don't make sense. Hmm. Yeah, like as not, they'll never make it to Lyon, any one of them. But Billy says they're starting tonight, so... Yeah. Ah, well, no, that does it. Oh, I'll just run these over to jail. You can pour yourself a cup of coffee, Mr. Ponson. I'll be right back. Well, why not let me take them over for you, Carter? Says I'm I'm all bundled up and everything. Oh, of course not, Mr. Ponson. No trouble, no trouble. Besides, I'd kind of like to have a talk with Bill before he leaves town. Well, if you're sure. And and don't stay open for me. I'll just get a cup of coffee from Mrs. Kramer. That's all I wanted anyway. Good night. Good night, Mr. Ponson. for bringing them over, Mr. Ponson. Good night. Hey, Billy, hmm? you, uh, you serious about striking out for Fort Lyon tonight? Yeah. Well, it looks to me like he's as safe here as he would be anywhere else. Guess he don't appreciate my company. That's right. I don't. Uh-huh. Well, you're the sheriff. Yeah. Now, Fort Lyon's a two-day ride in good weather. You know, no telling how long it'll take you to get in a storm like this. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Was something happened, though? I don't know what you mean. Well, I, I guess it's none of my business, whatever it is. No, it isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Mr. Ponsett. I... Oh, what's the use? Somebody will find out sooner or later... I'm not taking him to Fort Lyon. As soon as we get out of town, I'm going to turn him loose. What? And I'm not coming back to Dawson. I'm going home to Georgia, where I belong. Well, I suppose you've got your reasons. I told you. I only came out here to find my father. And I told you this was my lucky day. I found him. Of course, he wasn't quite what I expected. He's a thief, an outlaw, and a killer. 
You mean Reed. You knew it too, didn't you? No. No, I didn't know anything of the kind. Well, you must have guessed it then. When they let me take him without lifting a finger to stop me. You said yourself he was fast with a gun. Well, that's, I said that's what I heard. But the fact a man lets another man arrest him, well, that doesn't necessarily prove kinship. I, I got the proof right here. What? It's a mighty pretty locket. Open it up. Huh? Go on, open it. That's my mother's picture when she was a girl. It's copied from a picture that hangs in our parlor back home. And he was carrying it fastened to his gun belt. That's so, Reed? His name isn't Reed. It's Blake Riddle. He's loco, Ponson. Ask anybody. I've been Reed. I always have been. You're a fool to lie about it. If you weren't Blake Riddle, you'd be going to prison. I've been in prison before. And because you think he's your father, you're going to turn him loose. Is that it, Billy? I don't care about him or anything that happens to him. But she loved him once. At least she must have thought she did. And afterwards, you're getting out of town, huh? I don't reckon Dawson would have much use for a sheriff who was Ben Reed's kid. Well, they wouldn't have to know. I'd know it. I'd always know it. Even if they didn't. Well, the town was mighty proud of you, Billy. Well, at least I won't be the first lawman who couldn't hang on to Ben Reed. No. No, no, that's true enough. It just seems to me you're acting on mighty flimsy evidence. It seems to me there's a lot of ways a man could get a hold of a locket like this one. It wouldn't necessarily follow that he really belongs to him. Of course, if Reed says it's his... I ain't said that. He never asked me. I didn't have to ask. Well, what about it, Reed? Where'd you get it? I had it so long, I almost forgot. Yeah. But it all come back to me when you was making such a fuss. <laughs> Never thought a piece of junk like that had caused so much stir. Go on. I, I, I found it. Well, it must be about 15 years ago now, maybe more. I was down around Phoenix, a little town named uh, Court City. There were some other boys with me, and folks sort of got the idea we'd held up the bank. Come looking for us with a posse. Well, there was a couple hours of shooting, and afterwards the posse went back without us. Those that were still alive, that is. What's all this got to do with Well, let him finish, Bill. Well, we, we uh, went out to look at the bodies, you know, just to make sure the fellows were dead. One of them was carrying that locket, so I... Uh... Are you trying to say you killed my father? I don't know who killed him. Not for certain we was all shooting. I, I suppose it... Could have been me. You're lying, you're lying. Well, why should he lie? If it's the truth, why did he keep that locket? Wasn't worth anything. Didn't have any value. Well, why did he keep it? I, I'll tell you, kid. When when I opened it up and looked at it, I, I said to myself, now, she's pretty nice looking. So I thought seeing as how the fellow who was carrying the locket was sort of out of action, and maybe someday I might run into the woman in person having her picture, it sort of uh, give me an excuse. You to... filthy rotten. I'd kill you. I'd kill you with my bare hands. Tell me, Bella, get hold of yourself. How could I ever have thought that a dirty, rotten killer would be my own? I must have been crazy, plumb crazy. You sure were. <laughs> the idea of a kid of mine turned out to be a sheriff. <laughs> took Billy Riddle a little while to simmer down. When he finally did, he changed his mind about going to Fort Lyon. He decided to wait until the storm had died down until he was sure of delivering the prisoner. Reed didn't say anything, not another word. 
Not until Bill went out back to get some wood for the pot-bellied stove. Why are you looking at me like that, Ponson? You didn't believe me, did you? Not entirely, Reed. No, not entirely. Why not? Well, for one thing, I... I was in Court City when you robbed that bank, and it wasn't 15 years ago. It was about four years ago. And the posse that went out after you, well, they didn't even get close to you. They came back, and all of them hadn't fired a shot. Well... And there was another, uh, I think you would call it discrepancy. What's that? I knew all those boys in that posse, and none of them was named Riddle. Well, one thing was true enough. The important thing. Oh? His father is dead. And I killed him. Why? Twenty years ago, when his mother went off and left me, when she wouldn't come back, when she wouldn't even answer my letters. That's when I killed the man his father had been. I didn't think I had anything to live for. I didn't think I'd ever see Billy. I didn't think I'd ever see him as long as I lived. That's when I turned outlaw and became Ben Reed. That's when I killed Blake Riddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. But as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot more of Blake Riddle here tonight than there is of Ben Reed. At least that's the way it appears to me. Well, it was a couple of days before that storm let up and Sheriff Billy could take him over to the marshal at Fort Lyon. And he got him there, too. No trouble at all. Of course, a lot of folks said that afterwards Ben Reed would just break out of jail again like he always had before, but, you know, so far he hasn't even tried to. Uh, people just don't understand it. He, he's, uh, now he, he's practically a model prisoner. years, millions of additional children will crowd the elementary schools. Unless we prepare for this increased enrollment, our children and our nation will suffer. If America is to provide enough teachers and enough classrooms so that our children can receive a decent education, we must take immediate steps to improve some of our local school systems. Join and work with local civic groups and school boards actively seeking to improve educational conditions, won't you? Because better schools make better communities. The Six Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. It is based on a character created by Frank Burt, and the transcribed story is written by him. Mr. Stewart may currently be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Others in the cast were James McCallion, Ken Christie, Howard McNear, and Alan Reed. Special music for this program was by Basil Adlam, and the entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. 
All characters and incidents were fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. This is Hal Gibney speaking. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know they entertained audiences for over 40 years in vaudeville, radio, television, and the movies. But I got a bit of time in my hands tonight, so I thought you might enjoy some quotes from George Burns. Happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> uh, you can't help getting older, but you don't have to get old. Sincerity. If you can fake that, you've got it made. The secret of a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending and to have the two as close together as possible. There you are from George Burns. And now, Gracie redecorates. truly Bill Goodwin and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. For deep down laughs and listening enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for deep down coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House, with extra flavor in the blend because of choice Latin American coffee, skillfully combined. Extra flavor in the cup because Radiant Roast develops the full flavor of every coffee bean. And the result is that today, more people buy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Well, as we join the people who live in the Burns house, George is just coming home from the office. And he has a little package under his arm. Hello, sweetheart. Hello, dear. Oh, what's that under your arm? A package. I know. Is there something in it? Uh-huh. Present? Uh-huh. Or someone? Uh-huh. Anyone I know? Uh-huh. Someone I know real well? Uh-huh. <laughs> this is murder. All right, I'll tell you. It's a little present for you. For me? Oh, George! You're the most darling husband I never know when you're going to walk in with a present for me. Uh-huh. What did you get me this time? Candy like in 1937 or flowers like in 1941? <laughs> now, it isn't candy and it isn't flowers. Well, it really doesn't matter what it is. What counts is if you thought of me when you bought it. Well, I didn't exactly buy it, Gracie. I won it. You won it? Yeah. Down at the cigar store, they were selling chances on a punch board for the war chest. Oh, darling, and you won the bar check. <laughs> no, no, no. The money went to the war chest. First prize on the punch board was a pearl comb and brush set. Just what I need for my dressing table. Second prize was a diamond clip. Oh, wonderful for my new dress. Third prize was a bottle of joy perfume. Oh, perfect for my personality. Which one did you win? I won the 17th prize, an ashtray. <laughs> Perfect for the ashes. You're, uh, you're disappointed. Oh, no, of course not, darling. It's not the size of the gift that matters to a woman. It's how she feels about the giver. 
Really? Well, certainly. If you offered me an ashtray and Charles Boyer offered me a mink coat, do you think I'd slight you? No. I'd take your ashtray, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, thanks, Ted. You see, dear, when a woman is happily married, she doesn't care about big, expensive gifts. I married you, George, and I'm happy with nothing. <laughs> Why don't you unwrap the ashtray? All right. Oh, George, it's stunning. Oh, it's nothing. Oh, it's so sturdy. It looks like it, it'll hold ashes easily. <laughs> well, I can just imagine what you'd pay for that if you bought it at a store. It only cost a dime on the punch board. Well, don't worry. That extra nickel went to a good cause. <laughs> I guess it is a pretty small gift. Oh, but I love it, dear. Through the years, an accumulation of little things means more to a wife than any big gift. Even rich men's wives feel that way. They do? Well, of course. Do you think Bing Crosby's wife is reminded of Bing because of, of a diamond bracelet he gave her? No. It's her accumulation of little things. <laughs> what you mean. Uh, where shall we put this thing? Oh, right here on the coffee table where I'll see it every day. Yeah. How's that? Fine. Oh, no, no. The ashtray clashes with that color wood. Clashes? Yeah. We'll have to get a new table. <laughs> oh, Priscilla, get rid of the ashtray. Oh, Throw it out. Throw no, it out. no, darling. That's your gift to me. Honey, it cost ten cents, throw it the out. Throw it out. The that you spent the ten cents on me when you might have spent it on yourself. You, you could have bought a soda with that dime or a dozen of those cigars you smoke. <laughs> well, I'm not buying a $35 coffee table to set on a... to set off a ten-cent ashtray. <laughs> Darling, that coffee table has always been an eyesore. Everything in this room is beautiful except that. Stands out like a sore thumb. I don't think so. Well, look. Now, we'll leave it to whoever's at the door. Come in. Well, hiya, Burns. What's new? Bill, look around this room. You notice any one thing that strikes a sour note? One thing that should be gotten rid of. Well, sure, but how are you going to do it? He owns the place. <laughs> what a comedian. Uh, tell me, Bill, do you hire writers to write funny stuff for you? Well, yes, you ought to try it sometime, George. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Bill, I was referring to furniture. Don't you notice one particular piece that looks bad? Well, now that you mention it, Gracie, there is one piece of furniture that's always spoiled the looks of this room. Oh, you see, I knew it. I knew it. It's that easy chair. The easy chair? Well, sure, it's old and faded. It sags at the bottom. The stuffing's all in the wrong place. That's what I get rid of. But, Bill, that chair is just like one of the family. Yeah, there is a resemblance. Well, I get rid of both. Bill dropped in. I didn't realize that the coffee table and the chair were both eyesores. Don't pay any attention to what Bill said. You know his taste. Believe me, you put a sweater on the chair and he'll love it. <laughs> oh, no, George. Now that I've studied the room, everything looks beautiful except the table and the chair. 
They'll both have to go. Oh, I had to bring home that silly ashtray. However, here's a chance to get another opinion. Come in. Good morning, all. Say, uh, George, could you uh, lend me a couple of dollars? You see... Oh, excuse me, Meredith, but before you go into that, I'd like to ask your opinion about something. Now, look around this room. Do you see anything unattractive that offends the eye? Well, uh, sure, but I'm in a spot. I was hoping to borrow some money from him. (laughs) Not a straight man in the neighborhood. No, I meant a piece of furniture, Meredith. Look again. Oh. Well, now that you mention it, Gracie, there is one piece of furniture that's always spoiled the looks of this room. Yeah, which one? The divan. Uh, the divan? Yeah. See how that middle cushion has got a sort of a bomb crater in it? Oh, but that's George's favorite place to rest. In fact, that's what caused the crater. <laughs> George lying on his little round tummy. <laughs> Well, it's very comfortable, and we're keeping it, and it just fits. Oh, but darling, we could uh, make a, a new one fit, too. For the first week, we'll put a cannonball on the cushion. Gracie, you were very happy with all this furniture until I brought home that lousy ashtray. I'm going to throw it out. Oh, please, George. That ashtray is a present from the man I love, the man I respect and admire, the man I worship and adore. And I'll thank you to keep your big fat hands off it. <laughs> Gee, I, I didn't mean to start a family argument. I'd better go. Wait a minute. Didn't you want to borrow $2? Well, yes, I did. I'm uh, showing a certain someone the town tonight, and I, I thought I'd shoot the works. You know, uh, <laughs> flowers, dinner, a show, a couple of nightclubs. For that, you want $2? Well, I wouldn't like to come home broke. <laughs> Here, take three and go. Well, I'm glad to see you getting over your fear of women, Meredith. Now, when you take her home, kiss her goodnight. Oh, you bet I will. I always kiss my mom goodnight. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, I'd better get dressed and head for the furniture store. Now, let's see. New coffee table, new easy chair, new divan. Gracie, wait a minute. Get rid of the ashtray. Believe me, this furniture looks fine. Well, look, now, it won't hurt to get one more opinion. Come in. Good morning, Mrs. Burns. Good morning, Mr. Burns. Oh, good morning, Mr. Postman. Tell me, are you observing? Oh, yes. I have that rare combination, the keen eyes of a hawk in the body of a bull. (laughs) Oh, good. Now, I am... I wish you'd look around carefully and see if you notice anything that spoils the beauty of this room. Yes, I do. But I'm sure he has many lovable qualities. <laughs> oh, no, no. I meant, is there a piece of furniture in the room that strikes a jarring note? Oh. Well, now that you mention it, Mrs. Burns, there is one piece of furniture that causes a twinge in my bosom, if you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> well, which one is it? That floor lamp. Oh, my goodness, another one. Here I thought we had the house beautiful, and all the time we had the dump horrible. Well, of course, I may feel that way, because my wife and I have a floor lamp exactly like that. You know how it is when you've been too close to a thing. Yeah, I know, and I guess you have been close to it. Oh, yes, three times now my wife has wrapped it around my neck. (laughs) Well, goodbye, remember... Keep smiling. 
eyes open this morning, this living room must be completely done over. Oh, Gracie, until I brought home that ashtray, you thought the room was perfect. Oh, room is like a person, George. You may think a person is perfect, but some little thing always spoils it. Great. Take me, for instance. I'm practically perfect, except for... Except... Uh, I guess we better take you. Yeah, let you take it. <laughs> Meredith Wilson and In the Still of the Night. Gracie. They tell me this guy is the greatest interior decorator in Hollywood. Well, thanks for driving me over, Bill. Won't you come in? Okay. Ah, madame, monsieur. How do you? Allow me to introduce myself. I am Raoul of Hollywood. Well, I'm Gracie of Beverly Hills, and this is Bill of Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> I see. Entre vous? Oh, no, just friends. <laughs> Burns, and he's Mr. Goodwin. Yes, Mrs. Burns wants to talk to you about redecorating her living room. Yes, are you good, Raoul? I matriculated at the Paris Academy. No one understands color harmony like Raoul. Uh, color harmony? Yes. Every personality is different. For example, Mr. Goodwin here would never go with Violet. <laughs> Mr. Goodwin here would go with anybody. <laughs> 
I uh, am speaking of colors, madame. Ah. Well, I'll sit down here and wait for you, Gracie. Ah, there is your color, Mr. Goodwin. That chartreuse sofa does something for you. Does? Oh, there's definite harmony. You must make all your decisions on a chartreuse sofa. Well, when I'm on a sofa, I'm not the one who makes the decisions. <laughs> To begin with, I feel that the coffee table is not right. I understand. How does Madame like this coffee table? I have arranged the flowers on it myself. Oh, it's mine. It's stunning. It's charming. It's cheap. It stinks. <laughs> what? You don't know how to decorate a coffee table. I do, too. You do not. I do. You don't. Oh, you make me so mad. <laughs> Well, you make me so mad. One more word and I'll blow on your gardenia. <laughs> you wouldn't dare. Oh, boy, boy. Gracie, this guy is a phony. Phony? One more word and I shall deal harshly with you. You're a phony. That did it. Mr. Goodwin, will you step outside? Gladly. Well, that got rid of him. <laughs> a moment. I better speak to Bill. Oh, Bill, why did you get so angry at poor Raul? Well, flowers on a coffee table. Isn't that silly? Oh, oh, I see. You mean instead of... Well, of course. Maxwell House coffee. Yes. That's when a coffee table is beautiful. When it's holding a few cups of appetizing, rich, full-bodied, mellow Maxwell House coffee. Fooey on Raul. I know more about coffee than he knows about decorating. But he matriculated at the Paris Academy. Well, I percolated at the Brown Derby. <laughs> and I happen to know that more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. Maxwell House is coffee at its full-flavored best. Always good to the last drop. Any child knows that. Yes, I do, Bill. <laughs> and our coffee table will never have anything but Maxwell House on it. Now, come on back with me. No, Gracie, I'll sit in the car and wait for you. You'll be lonesome. No, I won't. I'll, I'll find some girl to sit with me and listen to Superman. But you have no radio in your car. <laughs> well, Gracie, there's more than one Superman. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for the delay, Raul. Oh, that's all right, but that man did upset me. Oh, that's because you're artistic. I understand, because I'm artistic, too. Oh, so there's a bond between us. Do you paint? Oh, hardly at all. Just a little touch of lipstick. <laughs> no, no, I mean, do you create beauty in the form of portraits or landscapes? Oh, that, yes, yes, I dabble a bit. I once did a study that my father says is the image of my mother. How charming. On the other hand, my mother says it's the image of my father. <laughs> How delightful. I actually meant it to be a bowl of fruit. <laughs> Now that I recognize you as a kindred spirit, I will give my all to your living room. I will fill it with nuances, overtones, vibrations. Uh-huh. Well, a little furniture would be nice, too. <laughs> yes, there will be furniture, madame. Each piece will express you. The walls will be you. The floors will oh, be now, you. Oh, now, wait a minute, Raoul. That sounds wonderful, but you're ignoring my husband completely. He's a very important person in that house. Oh? Uh, let the doorknobs be him. As you will. Now, return to your home and dispose of everything in that room. You mean sell all our furniture? 
Exactly. Sell it to the Acme Furniture Company. I deal with them myself. Well, I, um, I don't think my husband will like this. Oh, he will when he sees what I create. I shall make your living room even more enchanting than I made Lauren Bacall's. Oh, did you do her place? Oh, but yes. It was I who made Lauren Bacall's home the envy of every woman in Hollywood. Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Madame is whimsical. I shall see you this afternoon. Well, Miss Acme, how much for this living room furniture? I'll give you $20 for the whole work. Oh, no, I'm not that stupid. I'll sell you each piece separately. Okay, call them off. Three tables. Fifty cents a piece. <laughs> you don't know much about furniture. One of those tables is far better than the other two. Okay, fifty cents for the good one and a quarter each for the other two. <laughs> well, now you're talking. <laughs> Three small chairs. Fifty cents a piece. Must everything be fifty cents? Can't you think in terms of a dollar? Okay, make it a dollar for the three chairs. That's fair. One easy chair. Fifty cents. Fifty cents? My darling husband sat in that chair. Think of the sentimental value it has for me. Fifty-five cents. So, <laughs> you thought you were going to get the whole work for twenty dollars. <laughs> One rug. Fifty cents. One divan. Fifty cents. One lamp. Fifty, 50 cents. cents. Add it up. Uh, comes to eight dollars and fifty-five cents. Oh, I've got another proposition for you. What? I'll sell you the whole works for twenty dollars. <laughs> Nothing doing, lady. It was your idea. I'll back my truck up and haul the stuff away. I've got the funniest feeling that I handled that wrong. <laughs> Where's our furniture? I sold it. Sold it? Sold our furniture? Oh, well, not all of it, dear. Just part of it. Part of it? Yeah, we still have the ashtray. <laughs> You've done some silly things, but this is the worst. I'll be darned if I'm going to oh, stand Oh, George, please, please. You mustn't get so excited. Remember your appendix. I had my appendix out five years ago. Yeah, I know. Remember it? <laughs> Don't try to stall me. This time you're going too far. Oh, please, I will not darling. Stand. Burst all your blood vessels. Uh, see, there goes one now. <laughs> That's the door buzzer. Oh. A lantern. It's probably a man to take away our roof. Oh, no. Not a red necktie. No, no. Heavens, no. <laughs> no, huh? No, you have green eyes. I'll have them dyed red. <laughs> I'll get out. Oh, wait, George, wait. Please. Get out. This is Raoul of Hollywood, the famous decorator. He's going to redo our living room with modern plastic and steel furniture. Yes, the seats of the chairs will be crisscrossed aluminum pipes. <laughs> what am I, a man or a waffle? <laughs> I want overstuffed furniture. Overstuffed furniture? My dear man, have you no joie de vivre, no esprit de beauté? Have you no je ne sais quoi? Oh, answer him, George. Haven't you got any? <laughs> Look on the floor. Maybe I dropped it. 
Yes. Look, O'Toole. Raul. Raul. <laughs> Raul, O'Toole, or Schmuel. No overstuffed furniture. No money. No money? Not a dime. Overstuffed furniture is coming back, I understand. I had a feeling it might. <laughs> How much money will you need? Uh, shall we say 500? Shall we say 300? Oh, don't stop that, George. I got murdered that way. <laughs> I'll split the difference. I'll give you a check for $400. Splendid. Now, you and Madame have dinner, go to a movie, and when you return, Raoul will have created the living room magnifique. Now, remember, I want comfortable stuff. Stuff that looks like it's been lived in. Here's your check for $400. Ah, bonjour. Banjour, he said. <laughs> Takes $400 of my hard-earned money and gives me a big banjour. Come on, Gracie, let's go to a movie. Well, the interior decorator of yours had plenty of time to fix up the place. Oh, I'll bet the living room is beautiful. Let's go in and see. Turn on the light. Why, George, it is beautiful. Yeah. Gee, the new furniture looks swell. Oh, now you see, you thought you married just an ordinary woman. That I never thought. <laughs> but you shouldn't have sold the old furniture, dear. It wasn't paid for oh, yet. Oh, say, that's right. You still owe me $400. <laughs> yeah, well, forget it. Well, dear, the room looks grand. Are you happy now? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't change a thing in it except maybe for one tiny little thing. What's that? Coffee table's got to go. It clashes with the ash. Well, here we go again. <laughs> and now here's Gracie with a very important message. Uh, ladies, uh, would you like to have nylons by Christmas Day? <laughs> Pretty silly question, isn't it? Well, we can actually speed the return of nylons and many other peacetime products by saving used fats. You see, fats and oils are urgently needed in the manufacture of nearly all consumer goods, such as nylons, soap, refrigerators, automobiles, paints, and varnishes. So save every drop of used fats you can and take it to your meat dealer. You'll get four points and four cents for every pound turned in, and you'll be hastening the return of the things you want and need. Good night. Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin. Until next Thursday, then, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one brand of coffee, always good to the last drop. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sam Spade, followed by Abbott and Costello. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.